Today, this World Communion Sunday, we begin a new series called Interrupt, Finding the Courage to Live Counterculturally. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is also a reminder that we are not like everybody else, that we can't say what everybody else says, that we can't do what everybody else does. But as the people who follow God, we must do what God says do and say what God says say and allow God to have our way in our lives. So over these next few weeks, we will share together and learn from the Holy Spirit about what it means to be interrupted so that we might follow God. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in the first verse. And um, I'm reading from a translation of the Bible called The Message, Eugene Peterson's The Message. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 25a. It's printed in our bulletin or it will appear on the screen for you. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. The Corinthians are an interesting bunch, Wayne. <laughs> They, um, they're a once saved, always saved kind of bunch, you know. Um, they've gotten baptized and it doesn't matter uh, what happens after that because, you know, we've got Jesus. <laughs> they were a bit of a rowdy bunch and they were also a privileged bunch. They liked having their way and doing things the way that they wanted to do them. And Paul writes to them to remind them what it means to be the body of Christ and to be instruments, the hands and feet of Christ in this world. So we encountered their discussion in chapter 10, verse 1. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink meals provided by, daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ, but just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. 
First, the people partied. Then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They prayed for that. They paid for that. Remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of us serving Christ. They tried it. And God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. For discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel, they at the beginning and we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So, my very dear friends... When you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. Now I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. Draw your own conclusions. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking into ourselves the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body, the very life of Christ? Because there is one loaf, our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. Rather, we become unified in him. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us up to what he is. That's basically what happened even in old Israel. Those who ate the sacrifices offered on God's altar entered into God's action at the altar. Don't you see the difference? 
Sacrifices offered to idols are offered to nothing. For what's the idol but a nothing? Or worse than nothing, a minus, a demon. I don't want you to become part of something that reduces you to less than yourself. And you can't have it both ways, banqueting with the master one day and slumming it with demons the next. Besides, the master won't put up with it. God wants us all or nothing. Do you think you can get off with anything less? Look at it one way. You could say, anything goes. Because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinize every action to see if it will pass muster. But the point is not to just get by. We want to live well. But our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. With that as a base to work from, common sense can take you the rest of the way. This is the word of God for God's people today. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, here we are to worship, here we are to bow down, here we are to say that you are indeed our worthy and our holy God. We've come, O oh God, expecting a word from you, expecting you to cry out in the wilderness, expecting you to speak to our hearts and our minds and our souls, O oh God. We've come expecting you to allow your Holy Spirit to blow a fresh wind and a fresh fire in us and through us and around us and in the midst of us, O oh God. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And please hide behind that old rugged cross this your servant so that everything that is said and everything that is heard comes straight from you, O oh God. It is in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Interrupt. The dictionary says that interrupt means to stop or hinder by breaking in, to break the uniformity or continuation of, to break in upon an action, to break off or cause to cease as in the middle of something. Have you ever been interrupted? Interrupted when you were doing something or saying something that you thought was important? Here in the South, we teach our children not to interrupt, that it is rude to interrupt, especially to interrupt adults. But sometimes, interruption is the only thing that can get us back 
on God's path. I I told you before we read the scripture that the Corinthians were a once saved, always saved kind of people. And and Methodists, we're not those kind of people. The Corinthians thought that once they had been baptized, that there was nothing else that they could do in life to disassure their salvation. But Paul writes to remind them that their everyday behavior makes a difference in their salvation. That you can't be baptized one day and then go worship idols the next day and expect to meet Jesus at the end of your days on this side of eternity. Paul writes to remind them that they have to live like their baptism and like sharing in the sacrament of holy communion like it matters. Methodists call this the process of sanctifying grace and Methodists define grace as as the undeserved and unmerited favor of God in human existence through the ever-present Holy Spirit. And, And sanctifying grace leads us on a journey to Christian perfection. Not that we expect to achieve perfection on this side of of heaven, but that we are always striving for perfection and resisting sin. We remember and we participate in Holy Communion Because it reminds us that God is always giving us the gift of grace. And that God is always giving us an opportunity to begin again. You see, remembering takes courage. When we remember something, it is an interruption of what is going on right now. To remember causes one to remove themselves from what is currently happening and to place themselves at a specific position in the past. Now Christ tells us don't live in the past. But we must remember because remembering fuels us into the future. You see, the very first words of the 10th chapter say, remember, remember our history and be warned. It's important that we remember our history as the Israelites, that we were the chosen people and then we were in slavery because some people did some things that just weren't the way that God intended them. And then we were released from slavery and then we wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because we just couldn't figure out how to follow God. And the wilderness wandering generation didn't make it to the promised land. 
but it took a new generation that had heard and learned the history and learned and heard that if we do not trust God and if we do not love God and if we do not follow God, We must remember our history to interrupt the present. We remember to interrupt and be warned of behaviors that lead us to repeat history in ways that are not helpful, Christ-like, or life-giving. Paul says, remember and be warned. Verses 2 through 13 of this chapter remind us that if we don't remember, we will repeat our history. And we will repeat this life-destroying history. I don't know about you, but it feels like we are indeed repeating the Israelite history in the United States today. You know the story, God loves us, God delivers us, God provides for us, God grants us miraculous grace. And then we don't recognize God's grace as a gift. We fall prey to what we want and how we want it. We try to get Christ to do things our way and grant our wishes. And we must have our own way, and we don't care who is harmed in the process. It's still not enough. Our discontent destroys us. Just like the Israelites, God reminded them that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who creates, the God who sustains, the God who delivers, the God who forgives, the God, the God who gives us history so that we don't repeat our mistakes. And yet, we still do it our way, don't we? And then we look around and we wonder, what happened? As if we did not ignore the warning signs. And just like in times gone by, God still pulls us through. But we come through with scars, the tales of the warning signs that we ignored. Last Friday, I got to hear a presentation from the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Bishop Michael Curry. And, and he said in his presentation last week, he said, we are witnessing the re-segregation of America. Bishop Curry said, it's as if someone went 
out and woke up Jim Crow. God is not pleased. We remember to interrupt history that is not pleasing to God. We remember to do life in a more Christ-like, more life-giving way. We remember so that this time is different. And remembering takes courage. If we look at verses 14 through 18 in chapter 10, we'll learn that we don't control God. No human has ever controlled God, and Christ raises us to a new level of living. I'm sure almost everyone can say, I know I don't control God. That's impossible. Yet, in the ways that we live our lives, we prove otherwise. Even when we pray, we don't spend much time on the thy kingdom come, thy will be done part. And we certainly don't intentionally listen for the will of God during our prayer times. That's if we even stop long enough to pray. If we did, we'd be able to recognize segregation in all of its forms. We'd recognize the sin of racism. We'd recognize the evil of socioeconomic disparities. We would recognize that God is at work in us. And we'd work as hard for others as we do for ourselves. But remember, Paul says, I assume I'm addressing believers who are mature. Well, well, maybe that's not a safe assumption here. But it is only spiritually mature believers that can remember that the act of holy communion breaks down barriers. In Christ, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no black or white. There is no straight or gay. There is no category of human separation. Spiritually mature believers hear and understand the invitation to Christ's table that Christ invites all who love him and who earnestly repent of their sin. You see, the very act of remembering the first Passover and the last supper, the very act of remembrance and reenacting should call us to a place of recognition that Christ was aware of Judas's actions. And even still, Judas ate with Jesus. So when we remember, 
when we are courageous enough to remember. We realize that it's not up to us to decide who is worthy, who is worthy to eat at this table, who is worthy to be housed and fed and clothed and loved and have health care and be celebrated and get home safely and sleep in their own beds and wake up in the morning. It is not up to us to determine human worth, but in remembering, we remembered that Christ feeds us and that Christ invited even the treacherous Judas to the meal. The scripture reminds us that Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving exists to unite us and unify us and grow us up in God. So if we have a question about whether or not white supremacy is evil, then we have failed to interrupt our status quo and to remember God's will for us to have abundant life. So, we have to remember our history. We can't repeat life-destroying history. We don't control God, and Christ raises us to a new level of living. And through helping us to remember, God interrupts our plans and redirects us in God's plan. Verses 19 through 25a remind us that our foremost efforts are to be helping others live well. But over the years, the American way has devolved into selfish consumerism. We sacrifice our time, our talents, our gifts, our service, and our witness for everyone and everything but God. Do you think I'm wrong? How did you spend most of your time this week? Praying? Fasting? Listening to God, worshiping, serving, loving, working for the good of strangers on behalf of God, studying the Bible, paying close attention to prevent yourself from sinning. No, that's not how you've spent the hours of this week. Or maybe the question is better asked. What got most of our attention this week? Our phones, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, our phones, Facebook, TikTok, checking our investment portfolios, new technology, shopping, gossiping, the presidential debate, 
trying to make people see things your way? Or worrying? Paul says that these things can reduce us to less than ourselves. God wants all of us all the time, all or nothing. But Wayne, the people might say, but preacher, I have to work and I have other things that I have to do. And my response is, me too. I must work. I love my work. And yet sometimes my work becomes my identity and my idol. So how are we to be all in for God? Everything we do, our preoccupation in life, our primary goal, our foremost work must be to help others live well. So here the good news of this very difficult letter if we have the courage to remember, we can hear in this letter to the Corinthians that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God proved God's love toward us in the name of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. And when we remember, we can remember that, that God, God loves us. And God helps us to get up, dust off, and try again and again. And in this remembrance, we have an opportunity to take God seriously and gain the courage to interrupt and to live God's way. I'll be the first to admit that this is countercultural to the American way. In a time where it seems like we can't even agree on what the American way is. So it's up to us. God's way or our way. Countercultural courage. Just doing what everybody else is doing. Sarah Miles was an atheist for most of her life. And then one day she wandered into a church in San Francisco. San Francisco is probably one of our most religionless cities in the United States. And it also is one of our most uh, one of our cities that has a, one of the largest homeless populations on this planet. But Sarah Miles, for a reason she can't understand and she can't tell us, she wandered into a church. 
She says, I was certainly not interested in becoming a Christian. Or as I thought of it rather politely, a religious nut. But she ate a piece of bread. And the cup of salvation was extended to her and she took a sip of wine. And somewhere between that bread and that cup, she was transformed. She writes in her book, Take This Bread, a Radical Conversation. She writes that the the sacrament of communion has sustained her ever since. In a faith that she'd spent most of her life scorning in a work that she never imagined. She said Holy Communion transformed her. It literally took her from a life of atheism to a life of feeding people and advocating for people who were hungry. Every day. When she feeds the people who come to her food pantry ministry. She remembers how the bread and the juice transformed her life. Here is Sarah in her own words. You know, in, in our tradition, um, we're as likely to say Eucharist as communion because Eucharist means great thanksgiving. So it's a process of, above all, just giving thanks, thanks and praise, right? Um, but communion, I think, is this moment in which we realize that uh, we're flesh and blood and we're souls and we are human, and we have a little bit of God in us, that we are eating what we are, and we're becoming what we eat. Um, so communion is about transformation, right? It's about becoming. It's not fixed, it's not stable. It changes things, um, and it invites you into this process of becoming. What is feeding people, how has feeding people transformed your life? I think I always fed people. I worked as a cook for years. Um, I loved feeding people and I, more importantly, I was fed by people, especially by people I didn't know, um, which was kind of transformative. Um, I'm always the one who cooks for my friends. I love to do it. I cook at the food pantry. Um, and the ordinary communion of sharing groceries with people is both a way of, as on Ash Wednesday, remembering our common humanity, our common mortality. Like, it's pretty basic, you know? Everybody's gotta eat. 
You can eat the Cheerios, you can eat the organic truffles, but you gotta eat, right? Um, so it's what we have in common, right? But the idea of sharing food without boundaries, that's when Jesus is present. Because it's not really about what we eat, it's about who we eat with that allows us to be changed. Sarah Miles now runs a ministry called the Food Pantry, a ministry which offers fresh and free groceries to people every week. And they don't stand outside in a line, Wayne. They don't fill out any paperwork to determine whether they're poor enough to receive these groceries. But rather, they gather around the communion table. You know, the table that says, do this in remembrance of me. And everyone is welcome at the table, not tolerated, but welcome at Christ's table. Because one day, she wandered into a church. And the church welcomed her as family. And they taught her how to remember and she mustered up the courage to remember. And the remembrance interrupted her life. And with that courage, she entered into God's action. At the altar rail. And in the world.